For the rest of us here in this room, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 together this morning. I myself need to turn there as well. We're continuing our teaching series. Typically, as a church, we would gather um, and teach through entire books of the Bible. Uh, but for this few Sundays, about eight Sundays, this is our second one in the matter, we're going to be teaching through our core values as a church, the hope being that you will better get to know the ministry here of our church and have better reasons to come and fellowship with us on a regular basis. We love that there is a new church here in this new and growing community, and we know that many people come into uh, this uh, meeting place simply because it's geographically closer, but our hope is that you will join us in the great mission that God has given us to bring his good news to the people here living in Liberty Lake. And we think that these core values help focus that mission for us, and Lord willing, will make us more effective in it. And so as we turn to this passage, our, our core value that's going to be at the heart of this message is the value of lifestyle evangelism chose to talk about this one this week in light of the Sunday school that's coming up, hopefully as an extra encouragement to be a part of that. But I want to read for you what we have written for this value before we begin this morning. And so what do we mean by lifestyle evangelism? Why is this a value that we're seeking to inculcate in the culture here at Harvest? Well, we believe every Christian has the responsibility and the privilege to share Christ with those around them in a personal way. Therefore, we, being this church, strive to help everyone in the church develop the confidence and the ability to share Christ personally, knowing that no one method fits all persons. And so to put it even simpler and in fewer words, we want to make sharing your faith normal. That it's not weird, that it's not for the few, but that it's just part of what we do as Christ followers. We want to make it normal, to feel normal, and to be part of our everyday lives. And so to guide this value, we turn to passages like 1 Peter 3.15. We'll be de dealing primarily with just one verse this morning. And so if you have your Bibles open, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. I want to read this verse this morning, and then we'll begin our teaching. The word of God says in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is the word of God this morning. You may be seated. So I want you to think about this question quietly, not out loud. What would you say to someone who may come up and ask you, why are you a Christian? What answer might you be able to give if someone were to come up and ask you this? Some of us might be taken off guard and not feel prepared and just say maybe the first thing that comes to mind. Well, I was raised in church. That's why I'm a Christian. Maybe you would say something such as, God gives me a purpose for my life. Or because I, I believe in God, that's why I'm a Christian. Maybe a better answer than all of these would simply be because I'm a sinner and I have trusted in Jesus as my Savior. 
You see, one of the things that we must realize as we dive into this text of 1 Peter is that we're diving in literally into the middle of it. Chapter 3, middle of chapter 3, verse 15. And so it would be helpful for us to have a little bit of context as we seek to understand this verse this morning. One of the things that Peter spends a lot of time doing in this letter is he's talking to Christians suffering, persecuted for their faith. And to do so, to encourage them to do so in such a way that they would suffer well. That through their suffering, they may shine a greater spotlight on Christ. And so one of the reasons why I think 1 Peter 3.15 is in the Bible is that when you live out your faith publicly, you're going to get some questions. People are going to ask, why are you different? What do you believe? How could you go through circumstances like this? and have that kind of attitude. You're gonna be asked questions like, why are you a Christian? The question may sound different, but essentially it's the same question. Maybe you've heard this as you've lived your faith out obediently and publicly. You may hear things like, why do you seem so happy when things are so bad? Why don't you get angry like everybody else? Why don't you gossip like everybody else? Why don't you complain like everybody else? Or maybe it's just simply, why do you even like going to church? Wouldn't you rather sleep in on a Sunday morning? Ultimately, all these questions are the same question that we just asked at the beginning. Why are you a Christian? And so what Peter is doing here is he's saying that all of us as Christians should be prepared for this situation. That you're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Because if you're living out your faith, these questions are bound to come. And so you and I must be ready. So the points this morning, quite honestly, are right here in these verses. I'm just going to break them up little by little. We're going to look at 1 Peter 3.15, and we're going to look at three things. What does it mean to honor Christ the Lord as holy? That's number one. How can we be prepared to make a defense for the hope that we have? That's number two. And how can we do this in a gentle and respectful way? And so let us first look to honoring Christ the Lord as holy. What you may not realize, and what I didn't realize for a long time as I had this verse memorized, is that with regard to what this verse is telling us to do, the command in this verse is not to make a defense. If we go into the original languages, which can be a benefit from time to time, we can see the grammatical structure and know what is the direct command here in this scripture. And the command in this scripture is to honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then the rest of the verse tells us how to do that by giving a defense for our faith. But know first and foremost that what we are called to do as Christians, the command is to honor Christ the Lord as holy. And this is something that other passages have already told us to do. What you may not realize is this term to to honor Christ as holy is the same term in the Lord's Prayer that many of us may have memorized at one point or another. The Lord's Prayer is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and it begins with this phrase. When Jesus says pray, he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's the same command that we have here with Christ. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Hallow the name 
of Christ. It is a name worth fearing. It is a name worth respecting and holding in a place of great honor. And so we're to honor Christ and his name in the same way that we're called to pray for our Father in heaven to be hallowed as well. And so what are the ways in which we honor Christ and we honor his name? The first things that come to mind are, are important. Pray, read your Bible, obey God, resist sin, seek purity, grow in maturity. But there is this missing ingredient that 1 Peter 3.15 tells us. We honor Christ by sharing Christ. In fact, in some ways, this is the way in which Christ is most honored when we share of what Christ has done. That it is his name and no other name that can lead to someone's salvation. The idea here is if you're not sharing Christ, then you're not honoring Christ in the way that you are called to do. We see the early church honoring Christ by sharing the good news of what his life meant and what his death accomplished. In Acts 4.12, we read one of the apostles, I believe it's Peter, he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. That is honoring the name of Christ, to share what his name can actually do, that I can save sinners. We studied not too long ago in Philippians 2, 8 through 10, of why Christ's name is so honored and so lifted up. Read with me verses 8 through 10 of Philippians 2. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. The news of Christ's death and his resurrection is what honors his name and sets it apart from every other name in all of creation. And so as we seek to follow this command of honor the Christ, Christ the Lord as holy, part of honoring that name is being ready and prepared to share that name with those who need to hear it. But this is something that you and I are not always good at. Something that God's people throughout history have not always been good at. This is why Peter is writing to these people that are experiencing suffering. Because there's a cost associated oftentimes with honoring the name of Christ. But it's giving honor where honor is due. To give God the chief seat, to give Christ the chief seat, is to honor his name even at great cost to yourself. And when we don't, what we're actually doing is we're honoring the names or the power of men instead. We're holding them in greater fear, in greater reverence, in greater authority over our lives than the authority of Christ. So this is why Peter writes and says, be of good courage even in the midst of suffering. Verse 14 in chapter 3 Peter writes this, but even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 
As I said, Peter is writing to a persecuted people and he's saying, do not fear those who persecute you. Fear the Lord. Let him reign supreme in your life. A proper ordering of our fears is important. This is something that God has taught throughout all of scripture, to fear the Lord, to honor the Lord above all others. Isaiah writes to the people of God as they're being surrounded and invaded by a powerful nation. Isaiah writes in 8.13, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Not these armies that surround you, that at worst can only kill you. But what Jesus says in Matthew 9.28 gives greater perspective on this of why we hold God in that chief seat of fear and honor and reverence. Jesus speaks in Matthew 9, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Christians, friends, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that there's nothing to be afraid of. There are times when people are more powerful than you. To in an earthly sense, there are reasons to fear and to be intimidated. But yet as a Christian, as those who trust in God, we know that there is no authority greater than his. And so there's no one to hold that chief seat of fear and honor other than him in our lives. This is a difficult thing to remember, but one in which you and I need to remember as we seek to honor Christ. So what are some of the examples or barriers that you and I face in our life as we seek to honor Christ by sharing Christ? Well, we have these fears and the excuses that come into our head that people will be mad or they'll stop being my friend if I start talking about Jesus. Well, what is the greater problem? You losing a friend or that friend losing the opportunity to become a friend of God? Evangelism, sharing my faith, will cause problems at work, which I know some in which it can. To share your faith, to proselytize, to, to be an outspoken Christian can get you an appointment with the HR department from time to time. You can maybe even lose your job, which is a real problem. But that problem pales in comparison to the problem of a person's sin. Share your faith wisely. Do not be foolish. Find that middle road as much as possible, but recognize where your greatest fear may be. Other things may seem more urgent at times, but over and over, Scripture says that the time is drawing near. Christ will come again, and he'll come, yes, to make all things new, but he will also come in final judgment. And there will not be an opportunity for those whom you know, who you have opportunity to share with, to believe in Christ. Others might say, I don't know any non-Christians. Really? That's a problem as well. Jesus was a friend of sinners. If you don't know any non-Christians, which I imagine you do, go find some. Befriend people. Talk with them. People don't want to hear or they're not interested. That doesn't overlook their need. Whether they want to hear it or not, they need to hear it. They probably know the gospel already. Don't assume these things. I can tell you time and time again in which through maybe a preaching moment where I assumed I was speaking to believers only to find out that there were some 
had not yet believed in Christ. So don't assume, share. Well, I know this person and I don't think they'll believe anyway. Oh, really? Have you ever heard of this guy called Paul? If there was any somebody, if there was ever somebody who would be expected never to believe the gospel, it would have been Paul, would it have not? The man who dedicated his life to jailing and killing Christians only to become one of the most effective evangelists and most impressive of all the apostles. Nothing is impossible with God. So all these fears, all these excuses should not have any place in your and my heart. We must learn to overcome these fears. And I find it so encouraging that we read this verse from somebody who actually had that lived experience, Peter. If you recall, Peter did not always honor Christ as holy above all, but he lived in fear and reverence of powerful men. That Jesus, when he was betrayed and he was put on trial, and as Peter was there viewing that trial, he was pointed out three times, aren't you a follower of Christ? And three times, Peter denied knowing Jesus out of fear of these men and what they could do to him. Flash forward in Peter's life, Jesus has not only been arrested, he's been crucified, he's been buried, and he's risen, and he's ascended. And Peter's now filled with the Holy Spirit. And he now speaks boldly about the name of Jesus. We read in Acts 22, as Peter gets up to address these same people that not only jailed Jesus, but killed Jesus, this is how Peter speaks. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The same man who denied Christ three times is able to honor Christ by speaking boldly for Christ to a crowd of people, including the people that were responsible for Jesus' death. And what was God able to do with that? We'll flash forward to Acts 2, 41. We see the result of this bold witness of Peter. The word of God records, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. When you honor Christ the Lord as holy and you share his name, honoring him more than those who may, we may have reason to fear, God can do amazing things. often heard it said that discipleship, growing in maturity in your faith, begins and ends with evangelism. That for you to become a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, someone needs to share that message with you. So often, and I've made this mistake as, as a pastor, we want to see those people mature in their faith, and so we fill them with knowledge, we fill them with good things, essential things, but we forget to tell them to honor Christ the Lord as holy by going out and sharing Christ with others. Oftentimes, the missing ingredient in a maturing faith is not more teaching, it's more sharing. 
That to mature in Christ means to share Christ. And all those other things start to fall in place as a result of it. You know, as we think about sharing, as, as we think about sharing Christ, we often think of it as a gift, a gift of evangelism. Some of us will readily admit, I don't have that gift. But that doesn't mean that you're not called to do it. Right? The gift, in my experience, is more with regard to effectiveness, that there are some people that, for whatever reason, God has made very effective when they share their faith. But there is no one exempt from sharing their faith. But to not do so is to not be honoring Christ as you and I should. And so that is the command, honor Christ. And now we go on to the idea of, well, how do we do this? How do we do this? And Peter says, be prepared. Be prepared to make a defense. Now, the word for defense in Greek is actually where we get the word apologetics from. If you've been in Christian circles or grown up in the church, you may have heard that term, apologetics. It's not us making an apology for our faith. It's us making a defense for our faith. And so the category or the, the system of apologetics is defending the faith. And so we are to be apologists. We're to defend the faith. And it's, it's one of those things. We oftentimes forget the purpose in this. The purpose is not to defend God. God does a pretty good job of defending himself. But really, the goal of every apologetic conversation or preparation should be to share our faith. That we defend the faith in order that others may put their faith in Christ. And so in that sense, we are all called to be apologists. We are all called to make a defense. And so the question is not whether you are an apologist or not. It's, are you a good one or not? All of us are called to do this. And so oftentimes, this simply means answering questions. Answering questions. If you're living out your faith, if you live in such a way that people know you're a Christian, you're bound to get a question from time to time. And the idea is just to maybe think through and be ready for some of these questions as much as you are able. See, the problem that I see is we've kind of professionalized this discipline of apologetics. This is only for those who are called to it, only those who do it professionally, that I could never know the answer to every single question. And the reality is, is no, you can't. But that's not what you're being called to do here in this verse. You're not called to know the answer to every question or to know what every person could possibly believe about any religion at any time. What are you called to give a defense for? Look again at verse 15, middle of the verse. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Give a defense, give a reason, give an answer for your faith, your hope. Know what you believe. We could go on and on about what others may believe about this, that, or the other, but I think our time would be better served, especially for those who don't have an extra gifting or knack for the study of other religions and things of that sort. Our time would be best spent just knowing what we believe. Know the truth so that you can better spot the lie. For those of you who may work in retail or deal with cash, as much as that's even dealt with in business these days, hard cash. You may have been trained at one point or another to, to identify a counterfeit, 
and there's an endless amount of counterfeits that could ever be brought before you with regards to a $100 bill or this sort of that. And so really, to train somebody in spotting a lie is to study the truth. To know what a real dollar bill looks like, feels like, tastes like, no, don't taste them, that's gross. But the idea is if you know the truth, then you'll be able to spot the lie. So be ready to give a defense for what you believe, for your hope. Because you can really only defend what you believe. Don't try to know everything. Make sure you can defend the basic core understandings of your faith. But you will encounter questions that you won't have answers to. And let me just encourage you that answers can indeed be found. There are resources. In fact, we live in the most resource-rich environment that has ever been in all of church history. There are answers to the questions of faith. And a simple, I don't know, but I will find out, goes a long way. To be someone that actually follows up with those concerns will already set you apart whether your answer is a good one or not. And so, if you don't know it, go find it. And so we're, all, we're to give a defense, but the question is, when do we do this? Well, the text tells us, always. What does always mean? Always. Be ready at all times. And so we're to live in this constant state in some ways of not only readiness, but looking for opportunities, to be excited for opportunities. We'll talk about what it is to pray for opportunities, that we always want to be on the lookout and we always want to be ready for opportunities to share the best news that you could ever share with a person. But to always be ready is a difficult thing. It takes preparation, not just willingness, but preparation. So I want you to consider both these situations. Could you share your faith in a Starbucks line with only maybe two minutes of an opportunity to speak with somebody? Would you know what to say and how to say it? Different scenario. Could you share your faith, the gospel message, with someone sitting next to you on a plane in a two-hour flight? To always be ready is to always be ready, both in situations where we only have minutes to share our faith, but also in situations where we may have a whole two-hour flight sitting next to a stranger and talking about what we believe with them. So one of the best ways that we can be ready is to follow what I call the three C's. When that time comes for us to give an explanation of our faith, of the gospel, we want to make sure we're meeting three criteria that I call the three C's. The first C is this, that you want to be clear, right? Oftentimes we're willing, but when we're not ready, our message is not clear. It gets jumbled. It's not rehearsed. It's not practiced. We may be tempted to garble some things up, or we may be tempted to, to leave some things out. Secondly, it may not be every time, but we want the ability to be concise, to be concise. Oftentimes, one, one of the things that keeps us from being clear in our sharing of our faith is that we can't narrow it down to a short, simplified message. If you're using a lot of words, then chances are you're not being as clear as you possibly can be. There's a famous saying from famous American author, Mark Twain, uh, who was writing to a friend and said, I'm sorry I did not have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one instead. 
And so this idea that to be concise takes more preparation, takes more time, but it leads to better readiness. Lastly, we not only want to be clear, we not only want to be concise, but we want to be comprehensive. We don't want to miss anything. We don't want to leave anything out. I've seen well-meaning Christians, good people, in, the, in sharing their faith, forget some pretty important things, like Jesus. You're so excited, you're so caught off guard, you talk about God a lot, but you forget to talk about Jesus. Maybe more often I see people forget to talk about things like Christ's resurrection. Paul says if Christ did not raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Talking about repentance and the future hope that we have of Christ coming again. And so to always be ready, we want to be clear, we want to be concise, we want to be comprehensive. And we talked about living in a resource-rich environment. We have resources at our table to help you in this, some gospel tracks that you can take. There are apps that I could recommend. Um, sometimes to be clear, concise, and comprehensive is just to sit there and read something with somebody of like, hey, can I, can I share my faith by reading this to you? That can be just as effective because ultimately it's God who saves, not you or I. And I would also say to always be ready is to practice, which is why this is another not so um, uh, apologetic push to be involved in our Sunday school that'll be starting next week. These are things that you'll learn from Kevin and others in that room. So we're to always be ready and we're to share with anyone. That's what this passage says. Who do we share with? Anyone. That means we talk to people who are asking questions. And I'm so happy when this happens that someone makes it so easy that they just come up and just give you that softball. And you're like, yes, I would love to answer these questions to you. So be ready to talk to anyone, particularly those who are asking questions, but talk to those people who aren't asking questions as well. Learn to lead a conversation to spiritual things. And it can't just be simply, it can't just be as simple as asking what someone did on the weekend. Maybe they slept in, maybe they went to a sports game. And usually the way conversations work, if, if I ask you a question, what happens next? You ask me a question. What did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church and this is what I learned. Have you ever gone to church? All of a sudden we're now talking about these matters. And so don't just always play defense, have some fun in playing offense, share with anyone, those who are asking questions, those who aren't asking for questions. Uh, talk to those who are close to God, who show some interest, but also those who may be far from God as well, that you would say, ah, I don't think they could ever believe. Well, there's example after example in scripture and in the church throughout history of people who you would least expect coming to know Jesus. Don't make excuses. There's a funny illustration of this happening in my own life. Back when I was a youth pastor not too long ago, we used to take kids to an evangelism training conference where they could learn to share their faith in this way, and then we would be sent out for a couple hours into the community to go and to practice it, to find people, and to just start talking about Jesus with them and the gospel. And so as you can imagine, this was a difficult thing, not just for the students, but for me as well, but I fumbled through it. We walked up to people. We were in Washington, D.C. at this time and talking to strangers, and that was an interesting environment to be doing this in because there were people from all over and from all walks of life in this area. There were those who were tourists like us, looking at these national monuments. There were those who actually lived and worked in D.C. who were there on business or on lunch breaks. And there were people from all over the world visiting 
um, this place that may or may not have even spoken English. And we ran into a couple of those and it became a little bit of a barrier. And so there was a couple times in which I was gently encouraging students to go talk to some people. Um, and we found that those who were sitting down were best because it's harder for them to w run away from us. And I remember encouraging them to go talk to, to one man in particular, and they, they didn't want to because based on what he looked like and based on past experiences, like, I don't think he speaks English. I'm like, well, you don't know. And so we passed by. Well, this conference had hundreds of students at it, and it just so happened that a few minutes later, I walked by that same man, and there was a group of students from another church sharing their faith with him, and there seemed to be a really good dialogue going on, and let me just say, he spoke perfect English. And so don't assume, be ready to speak to anyone. That's a funny example, but yet we have some not-so-funny excuses of why we avoid sharing our faith with people at times. We're to always be ready. And one of the ways that we can be most ready is by praying for opportunities. This is something that Paul did all the time and that he asked the church to do with him. Two examples from scripture come from Colossians 4, verses two through six. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door uh, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Pray for these opportunities. Pray that it would result in a clear opportunity to share your faith as you proclaim the good news of Jesus. I have other examples, but for the sake of time, I will point those to you later. So we don't always just want to play defense want to play offense as well. Making a defense for our faith, but looking for opportunities everywhere. Always be ready to speak to anybody about the hope that you have. And to do this, you have to be prepared. You have to be rehearsed in many ways. You have to have some way of articulating the gospel that you are comfortable with. And there are many ways I have found one particularly helpful of a gospel acrostic using the word gospel and having a sentence for each letter. G, God created us to be with him. O, our sins separate us from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him can have eternal life. And L, life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. And so that's from our youth training that Katie was a part of. Usually there's a fist bump at the end. But have something rehearsed. Maybe it's a string of Bible verses that make the gospel clear. Maybe it's a resource on your phone that serves as a digital track to explain the gospel. Maybe it's some other way of memorizing it, but know that being prepared, having something rehearsed and memorized is biblical. This is what the early church did. This is what we have recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I imagine that this is how Paul was instructed in his early walk as a Christian and how he instructed others. They memorized certain creeds and confessions and ways of summarizing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, three through four. This is what Paul says. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus 
died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is a clear, concise, in some ways comprehensive way of sharing this news. And so we need to be prepared. And so if you aren't comfortable sharing the gospel with me after service in one minute or less, then you have some homework. And don't worry, we offer private tutoring every Sunday, 8.30 to 9.30 in our Sunday school class. Lastly, let me go through this very quickly. So we're not only to honor Christ, we're not only to be ready to make a defense, but we're to do so with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. I cannot stress how important this is in sharing your faith. For me, as I learned about apologetics early in my Christian walk, I will confess that I was not always gentle. I was not always respectful. In a lot of ways, this wasn't modeled by a lot of people who excelled in apologetics as I was growing up in the church, that this was a combat sport in many ways. That we weren't out necessarily to win people to Christ, but to destroy their deepest held beliefs. Now, don't get me wrong, it's good to study other religions. It's good to look for inconsistencies. Apologetics is a good discipline and a good study, but the need for gentleness and respect is great. It's great. You see, religious beliefs are often the most tightly held, sensitive beliefs that a person has. And it's okay to be mindful of that, not to compromise on the truth, not to get squishy on things, but to be loving my mind goes back to the demeanor and the attitude of Jesus that as we've read so often in our kind of naming of our church, Matthew uh, chapter 9, verses 30 th 36 through 37, Jesus, when talking about the harvest, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. My hope is that as you share your faith, you are having compassion towards those you are sharing your faith with. That they're not opponents to be defeated, but souls to be saved. And so we want to be gentle. We also want to be respectful as much as we can. The reason being is we don't need to add any greater offense to the gospel. The gospel to the unsaved person is already offensive. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. He quotes from the Old Testament, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The idea is that you either come to Christ as the cornerstone that you build your life on, or he's the stone that you step over and stub your toe on. That the gospel is offensive because it is the news that you are a sinner worthy of God's wrath and punishment, and your only hope is to trust in Jesus. And so our intention and our goal should be to let the gospel do all the offending and not add to that ourselves through our demeanor, our antagonism, as much as we are able. And so something that, that I found that can be helpful, we talked about the three C's, now we have the three A's, triple A. 
a way to have a good conversation that hopefully can keep it a little more gentle, a little more respectful. The first thing is to ask questions because people's favorite thing to talk about is what? Themselves. So if you get them doing most of the talking, chances are you're less likely to be offensive, but you're also getting to know them more and getting to know how you can maybe share your faith with them, tailoring your presentation of sorts uh, to, to their needs. But as you ask questions, listen with an ear to find something to admire. Compliment them in some sort of way. Keep the conversation positive as much as you are able. And when the time is right, the last day is to admit. Admit why you are a Christian. So ask questions, admire something, and admit why you are a Christian. This is in some ways modeled by Paul as he spoke to um, the Greeks uh, in the Areopagus. Look very quickly with me at Acts 17, verses 22 through 23. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so he didn't get a chance to ask questions, but he observed, which is the purpose of asking questions, found something that he could admire, this carving of swords to an unknown God, and he used that as an opportunity to admit or to share the gospel. And so what could that look like in context for us today? If you were talking to someone of a different faith, say a Mormon, how could you maybe find something to admire or a way to to keep a conversation positive. You know, if I'm speaking with a Mormon, they say that they believe in the Bible. You say, hey, you believe in the Bible. Can I share some verses with you? And so to keep it peaceful and informal in some ways, maybe you're speaking with an atheist and they're very passionate about science and creation. You could say, hey, I actually enjoy thinking about the world and how it works and how everything's made, but I just view it from a little different perspective. Can I share that perspective with you? With an agnostic, someone who says that I don't know if there's a God one way or the other, and you could say, well, I appreciate in some ways your open-mindedness. Would you be open-minded enough to hear why I think there is a God and what he's like? If you're speaking with kind of a spiritual new age person, you could simply compliment them. The fact that they acknowledge a spiritual world is kind of nice because many people don't. Can I share some of my spiritual beliefs with you? Right, so there's ways to keep things gentle and respectful as much as you possible, but we don't want to be misleading. Don't compliment things that aren't worth compliment, uh, complimenting, but point people to the truth as gentle as may be possible. You see, I believe we're better served presenting a positive case for the gospel rather than a negative case or a tearing down of someone's beliefs as much as we can. We want to be bold on the truth, but gentle with people. And the idea here is that if you're sensing that things are getting heated, if this conversation is taking a turn and is getting hostile, it's okay to walk away. Christ instructed his disciples as he sent them out to do essentially door-to-door evangelism. Matthew 9, 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, it's okay to step away. Maybe you can preserve that relationship to have another conversation in the future. We want to engage people, not enrage them. We want to win souls, not arguments. And so this is what I believe is kind of the philosophy of evangelism encapsulated in 
1 Peter 3.15. As we read it, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is what we're all called to do, whether you're gifted in evangelism or whether you're just the average person that just wants to honor Christ and to serve him and to share the good news with others. Our hope is that this will be a value that's not just embraced by me or the leadership here or a few, but this is a value that we would all share in together, that we'd want to share the good news of the gospel to make it normal. And everybody seems to go about it in a very different way, but the same result is possible because the power comes from God and his spirit and his work on people's hearts. So let us pray that God would sink this value deep into the heart of this church for many years to come. Heavenly Father, we want to first thank you for those who honored you by sharing their faith with us that we may hear and believe. Lord, whether that was a pastor, whether that was a friend, whether that was someone bold enough to strike up a conversation, a stranger, whether that was a mother or a father who intentionally just taught us the scriptures and taught us the gospel, we thank you for their faithfulness. We ask that you would help us to be faithful in this regard too, that sharing our faith would be normal at Harvest Liberty Lake Church, that we would speak of you in the good news of your life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, that we would encourage one another as we remind one another of the gospel, but that others would come and hear and believe and be saved, that we may indeed reap a harvest here in Liberty Lake. Only you can do this, and so it's by your spirit we pray these things, and in Jesus' name, amen.